Welcome into a special Friday Night Tailgate episode of State of Play Podcast. Joined with Jake Reitma. Jake, thanks for joining us. Let's dive right in. Big Ten is only a couple hours from kicking off Wisconsin, Illinois. I'm excited for the season to get going. To me, even though the year is unique, I'm just as excited for a Big Ten season to start as any other ones. How are you feeling about the start of the year? Dan, Dan, no about it. No doubt about it. And, and first and foremost, I, I can't believe I got the invite back. So, I mean, I know desperate times calls for desperate measures, but I'm uh, honored to be back on the, the Friday night tailgate. And, you know, it's I know we got a game tonight, but tomorrow's the big day. And it feels like you could probably relate to this uh, coaching. I know uh, – both my father and my brother as coaches wouldn't sleep a lick the night before right. football game. And and this is just magnitude times a hundred with the long wait that we've had for big 10 football. And we've gotten a little bit of a taste with right. the rest of the country playing college football for a little bit, um, you know, in the last couple of weeks, but this is what it's all about near and dear to our heart. Big right. 10 football is back. We got a full slate and, and I, I, I hope you can sense it. I hope you can sense the excitement and feel it in my voice. I'm ready to go. You're excited, Jake. See, I still get that same feeling when I'm doing a podcast with you. I'm just so excited, so much energy to be represented by big time Jake Reitman from 97.1, the ticket. You said you weren't going to do this this time, man. You lied to me. As as you'll learn about me, I I a lot of times tell things that I don't always come come through with. Let's just dive right (laughs) in about what we're looking forward to most in this season. I'm going to start off with the fact that I'm looking forward to to see how the season will play out. we got a game in a couple hours. But let's just be honest, there is going to inevitably be some COVID cases. There's going to be some things that are going to come up throughout the season. How is the Big Ten handle that when, in fact, at one point they said it wasn't safe to play? Then they've said we have, you know, learned new information. I've been critical of Kevin Warren, but when you look at it, what happens if we now have a situation where a school can't play? I mean, the University of Michigan, I think, is going through some issues with the school and the university, and now the football team's going to play. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how the Big Ten handles and navigates this regarding COVID because of the situation that they were already in before the season even got started. I mean, you're absolutely correct, Dan. And especially when you when you break it down just by the Big Ten, they've been the one that's kind of flip-flopped more than any right. other conference. Right. You know, the SEC, and uh, make no bones about it, it just means more, right. all that good stuff. They're they playing from day one. Yep. And the, the, but the Big Ten has had kind of the flip-flop nature to it. And I think uh, you're seeing it a little bit, as you alluded to, with Michigan. You know, um, the campus has the stay-at-home, the shelter-in-place right. order, but yet the football team is able to travel out to Minnesota, which we could, we could, we could get into the specifics right. of that. I'm all for it, but it is what it is. And just seeing as a whole how the conference is going to navigate it will be really interesting. But I also think there's something to be said about almost like the Big Ten playing catch playing from behind. I mean, you know, as a coach, the most improvement, I know it's a cliche, but the most improvement you make is from week one to week two. So now all of a sudden the big 10 teams are playing their first game and everybody else around the country has those, those two and three and four games to kind of get their feet wet and kind of get in the groove of things. So the big 10 season week six. Yeah, you're right. ACC's in week six this Saturday and the SEC's playing week five. I mean, and you're talking about the big 10 playing an eight game schedule and they're just starting. I mean, I think that's, I, I think you're right on. That's just as important as anything to me. The other thing that I'm really excited to see is the Mel Tucker era starting at Michigan state. You know, we're both um, state of Michigan guys. I make my residence now in the great state of Wisconsin, but how is Mel Tucker going to follow up the coach D'Antonio era, which was really good. 
There were some really impressive parts to his, you know, career and, and really kind of where he took that program. Kind of an odd ending. Let's just be honest. The odd right. ending to Coach D'Antonio's era. But how is Mel Tucker, how is the staff at Michigan State going to respond during this? I'm really excited to see how they how they get going here. I am as well. And if I let me jump right in because that's something I'm around every day, you know, right. being at the ticket, just kind of consumed in it. You know, Michigan and Michigan State this time of year is a huge part of what we cover because Lord knows we don't want to talk about the Lions too much because that, that's <laughs> depressing in, in every way you slice it. But right. with Michigan State, there was all this momentum around the Mel Tuck. Tucker higher and rightfully so. And it, it also, I say rightfully so, but I also, the other side of the coin is he was five and seven last year at Colorado, right. which, which it is what it is. You could, you could, there's more to it than just a win loss record, but going back to now as the head coach of Michigan state, you have all this excitement about a new face, especially with, again, all due respect to D'Antonio, because I think he was the face of the program for, for, for so long and led them to heights that many, including me, didn't think they'd ever reach. I mean, making a college football playoff, winning the Big Ten the way they did. Right. But it was almost like the era went on for two years too long, maybe three if you ask some people. You know, especially, definitely, everyone can agree, at least one year too long. So now that breath of fresh air with the Mel Tucker era – but but that said, he's not having, and to no fault of his own, it's 2020 and we're living in a pandemic. He's not able to start his era the way he envisioned it. I mean, Zoom meetings can only mean so much. And, and to not have that opportunity to go through an actual spring practice in a spring season and the summer, and then to have all this uncertainty, I think that's tough on any coach, let alone a first-year head coach, which don't limit it to Michigan State. There's a couple of first-year yeah. head coaches in the Big Ten that are all dealing with with that same nature I have some concerns I don't want to you know I don't want to make any statements one way or another about, Mich about Michigan State and the coach Tucker era I'm a little concerned though it almost feels like it could be a little bit of a lose-lose situation in my opinion you're following up you know I don't know if he's the you know coach D'Antonio was the you know he's going to have a statue built for him at Michigan State he's but he's you know right up there is all-time wins and then you're stepping in in 2020, I get a little worried that it's going to be lose-lose because for a long time, it felt like during that era, Michigan State might have passed Michigan. I mean, they were beating them. I know they had the, you know, the fumble situation on the punt, but there was a time there where Michigan State had overtaken them, you know, got into the Big Ten championships games. They were playing in the Cotton Bowl, winning big-time games. I get a little concerned. This has got that feeling of the guy that took over for the big time coach, you always kind of want to be that next guy after the guy, you know, I, I've worked for some coaches who used to say that I get a touch worried about that staff. And, you know, I hate to be the guy dropping the, you know, the bell um, and your midday program would do this to me. I worked for Scotty Hazleton, their current defensive coordinator. Woo -woo, <laughs> siren. alarms, the sirens are going off. And then I got to know Courtney Hawkins through recruiting when, when he was the head coach at uh, Flint Beecher high school all good guys. I think they're going to do a great job, but I'm, I'm a little concerned. I'm a little worried that are they going to be able to live up to expectations and sometimes for that next staff in, that can be a tough thing to, to do. Right. I'm going to disagree with you because that's, that's what makes these things go around. You know, right. that's what drives a, a show like this because, and here's what I'll say. I, I, I get what you're saying. I would, I would agree with that take if let's say Michigan state's coming off a, a Rose bowl appearance and, and it was at the peak of the 
D'Antonio era. And if, you know, he's walking off in the sunset, being carried off and they're building the statue for him. Yes, I would agree with that. But because the way he handled his last couple of years, the reshuffling of the offense of the entire staff, really, and not not being uh, willing to part with the offensive coordinators and and just reshuffling. Uh, We always said uh, at at the station, Valenti was known for saying, uh, you know, reshuffling the chairs on the Titanic. It's still a sinking (laughs) ship. So if that if that hadn't been the case and people in East Lansing and all of Michigan State, um, the Spartan Nation, if you will, if they hadn't been so desperate for a change, then yes, I would agree with that. But because because there was such a a such a need for a, a breath of fresh air, I think Mel Tucker is walking into a I don't want to say forgiving situation, but he I don't think he's going to have the pressure to win right away. And I don't want to say it's going to be a lose-lose. I think he's got a great opportunity. I do think their defense is going to be really good. Now, I don't know as much about the personnel. Maybe you do. But I think when you match what I know about Scotty Hazleton, how he runs a defense, and then what he had done in the past, it's not just a personal relationship. You know, getting a chance to see what Scotty and that staff did at North Dakota State, and you can talk about it being the FCS level. Um, those teams were going out and beating Kansas State. They were winning some really big games. He spent some time in the NFL. He's really a Monty Kiffin disciple. And then what he was able to kind of learn with his time at USC and then at Wyoming, um, and then kind of taking some time at Kansas State, I I think it's going to mesh very well. Also with Coach Trestle still being there, being one of the holdovers, I think there's going to be some fundamental things that they're going to be able to get a defense that's going to really rival some of those Narduzzi defenses that they had a few years back. And, and, and you can quote me on this, but I think that defense is still going to be strong and carry that program moving forward. So it's the offense that I'm always going to have questions about at State. No doubt, no doubt. And I think that seems to be the general consensus. And and to, you know, before we move on, just to summarize, I, I hope you're right, Dan, because we have a little saying, it's it's RFR, we root for radio. The better our teams are, the more relevant they are, the more interesting they are, the more people that are listening, and that's what we're rooting for. I, I pray that Michigan, I mean, nothing better than the Michigan-Michigan State rivalry being at that peak where both teams right. are nationally relevant. Right. And I know we're going to get into more about Michigan and what that program has been like over right. the last couple of years. And and, and just I, I I know at the beginning of a new year, everybody has that mentality that this could be our year. And I'm praying, I am praying that that is the case, that obviously it's not going to be our year for Michigan State. Nobody's expecting a Big Ten championship by any means. But just for that team to start that progression upwards to where they can be and where they've proven they can be in years past. All right, we talked about it early as far as some of the leagues are already playing. You know, again, the ACC is in week six for, for at least for Clemson, some of their big schools. You know, SEC is playing their fifth week. You know, where does the Big Ten fit, especially from using your standpoint and knowing, you know, Michigan, Michigan State, being in the state of Michigan, where is the Big Ten going to fit in the college football playoff discussion? Dan, I will die on this hill. You know, there's there's kind of different hierarchies of of quote unquote takes. You know, you you, you believe some religiously, some of you're may, just kind of making a compelling case. But the hill that I will die on for this year in college football 2020 is that Ohio State's the Big Ten's only hope for the college football playoffs, national relevancy to make some noise and to take it a step further. Maybe, maybe I'm not saying it per se, but perhaps. Perhaps the Big Ten season was kind of formulated here. I mean, we know it was kind of a a last hurrah because they canceled the season originally. But maybe, just maybe, because, and I'm not saying this was the main reason, but because Ohio State has a chance to reach the college football playoffs, the Big Ten administration and and everybody involved with 
resuming the season that factored into it a little bit here is hey here we've got a team at ohio state that could be as good as ever let's give them an opportunity to get to the college football playoffs so i i firmly religiously believe that ohio state is in a class of their own in the big 10 and as far as national relevancy reaching the college football playoffs the buckeyes are the only hope for the big 10 and and maybe it's a boring take you know maybe because but I, i'm not changing it that no, that's that's how what i truly believe and i, I think, think the, the no the no, rosters I, back it up you know yeah. no i think you're right on i mean at the end of the day let's let's just be honest let's call a spade a spade they're the only chance that the big 10 has to compete in the college football playoff the concern that i have okay when you kind of look at the other leagues and we we know that the big 10 has been left out before okay the big 10 has had not have had a representative before if you watch that Bama Georgia game from this past weekend, okay, I watched it and, and and I was listening to the pregame. This has been a long time since I've had my Saturdays open, and that's when I get a chance to watch <laughs> some college football. It's, I'm not going to lie, right. it's a little weird, but it's also a little fun. I think Georgia was favored in almost every um, early morning show. I think most of the people on ESPN even chose, you know, Georgia as their favorites to win the game. And Bama looked dominant. But if you watch that game, there's no way you can tell me those aren't two of the best teams in the country. Okay. And the way the CFP is set up is people are voting and people are putting teams in. It's not a player way in. This is like the old school bowl invitation. And that's really what we've created. And the reality is those two teams deserve to be two of the picks for the CFP. The other concern I have, Jake, is I think when you look at two other spots, Clemson and Notre Dame are on a crash course to play each other in just a few weeks. And I think Notre Dame is really good. Okay, I don't know if they have the, the overall team speed to be able to beat Clemson, but I think they could. And there's no way you're keeping Clemson out. So let's play a little bit of the what-if game. What if Notre Dame sneaks that game out against Clemson and Clemson wins the rest? You're going to keep a one-loss Clemson out. And I know you've got Justin Fields at Ohio State, but I just don't think you're going to keep a one-loss Dabo Sweeney and Trevor Lawrence out of the CFP if, in fact, Notre Dame were to win that game and run the table. Because I think Notre Dame's got a chance to, to, to run the table. I really do. Their speed is as good as I've seen in a long time at Notre Dame. And that, I mean, in that hypothetical situation, yes, everything you're saying makes sense. Um, I, we always joke, like we'll cross that imaginary bridge when we come to it. So I'm going to stick with that because I, I will disagree. I've been burned by Notre Dame in the past. Um, I'll, I'll be doubting Thomas with Notre Dame. I need to see it before I believe it. And so, but for the sake of, you know, for the sake of the show, hypothetically speaking, you got to put a one loss Clemson team in there and then you can't leave an undefeated Ohio state, or I mean, I'm sorry, an undefeated Notre Dame team out of there. But if Ohio state, I think Ohio state controls its own destiny. If they run the table, win the big 10, you can't keep them out of there as well. So if in terms of thinking of who's on the outside looking in, it's going to be the runner up in the sec, no matter how much of a case you can make for them being the more deserving team and really arguably the more talented team. Well, that's where I get worried about the eye test. If you watch that Georgia team and that Alabama team they're I'm not saying they're going to beat an NFL team. They couldn't, they couldn't even beat the lions. Okay. I'm a big lions fan. and I'm a big believer. I've made some bold <laughs> statements this week to a lot of the Packers fans here about what the Lions are going to do the next five or six weeks but that is and those are two elite programs okay and here's the other thing no one's even talking about the Big 12 I understand Oklahoma's kind of having a unique year Texas lost that Red River uh, game to kind of you know maybe push them outside of it but Oklahoma State is sitting there at three and oh now they've had a weird year with a game being canceled but do, do they not get credit I mean you're going to find yourself I think in another season where the reality is 
you're going to have to choose between teams that maybe are more deserving and teams that maybe are better with a lesser record. That, that's the challenge that I'm always going to come into when you sit here and talk about the CFP, which I'm not for expanding the numbers. I'm really not for that at all. Actually, I don't think we had it wrong when we just played one versus two, but that's a conversation for another day. How I was just about know? to say, we, we, can, we, can, we can open the whole can of worms here, Dan. We, we got all day, right? Well, the all season night. hasn't started off, so this is exactly what you do in this first exactly. opening weekend. You talk about these different things. With that being said, we did get a couple of social media questions. Okay, Some people that followed the podcast asked a few questions, and I think this will segue very nice in, in, into kind of what we were talking about, especially regarding Ohio State. Um, from Andre Griffin on Facebook, very good friend of the show. He's been a guest uh, on the State of Play podcast. He asked us, I'm going to pose this to you, Jake. I think this will be a good one for you to touch on, um, seeing as you're such a big Buckeyes fan. How long can the Buckeyes dominate? Whoa, whoa, whoa. How long can the Buckeyes dominate? Who is their biggest competition and how long will Ryan Day stay? I think that's a great question from Andre Griffin on Facebook. Absolutely. And and to let let's set the record very, very straight. I am in no way, no way a fan. In fact, I, think I, I kind of scarlet and gray, actually, to be honest. No, I don't know if anybody no, on YouTube no. is watching. You can kind of document the color choice that you're wearing. Clearly 97 won the ticket. <laughs> and while while we're while we're setting the record straight, and you've already had your siren moment, so I'm gonna have my siren moment. One of my other alma mater, Northwestern University, <laughs> has been to a Big Ten title That's game, true. and obviously I'm I'm repping the Wildcats. <laughs> right there with the, the power Northwestern end there. But when I was there, again, siren, siren, at the Big Ten title game in Indiana, Lucas Oil Stadium, so many obnoxious Buckeye fans. It was brutal. And obviously Northwestern, I mean, not to not to dive too far into it, but they put up a pretty good fight. They, you know, it was a one-score game late, late in the third quarter. It is, but that said, I despise the Buckeyes. But I'll call a spade a spade since that's what we've been doing this entire show. They're far and away the best team. And, and to answer that question, how long can they, they keep it up? I, I think they they have a legitimate, legitimate chance to win it all. And, and if you want to even go a step further and say, should they be in the conversation? They absolutely should be in the conversation for national relevancy. I mean, Justin Fields, obviously Trevor Lawrence is the best quarterback in college football, but he's right there. The second best quarterback in college football, the roster is loaded with not only, not only all, all conference type players, but all American candidates. Right. I mean, we know, we know about the defense and from top to bottom, the depth there is just incredible. And how far, how long will Ryan day stay? I, I don't see any reason to, to to leave. I mean, I know he was kind of thrusted into the the head coaching job there, and a lot of people thought there might be a little bit of a fall off when when Urban yeah, Meyer really departed. But there wasn't at all, and and even when Urban Meyer was going through some of the turmoil and uh, the controversy, Ryan Day was he was the 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 steady strong horse that led that program and right. continued to leave it through adversity, through turmoil. So I I, I mean, if he can do that. Now, now when things are going smoothly, it's it's everything's gravy. It's easy breezy, and I've been totally impressed with the way he's he's really picked up. And and even you could make the case elevated Ohio State to that to that next level. But um, I mean, even I mean, you can go up and down this roster. It's just it's loaded with NFL talent. You could make a case that his program is run better. He has as many resources as any NFL team, which is that that's where he's going to go. There's no college team. In my opinion, even right. if Alabama opens up in four or five years, coach Saban retires, maybe Dabo leaves Clemson to go there. I mean, those are all again, hypotheticals. 
how would you leave and say some places better than Ohio State? I mean, it, other than an NFL team scooping him up, and he might have a better chance for longevity if his you know ego isn't such that he feels like he has to you know challenge himself at at the NFL level. I, to to me, I think you're right. I think he could stay there for a very long time. I think he's a coach that could find himself there. And when you read the history books, okay, I I try to read as much as I can. Okay, I wasn't the world's best student. Not all of us could get into Northwestern like you, but. <laughs> Come I on. try to read, and I read a great book by Bob Devaney. Okay, Bob Devaney, coach at Michigan State. He's actually originally from uh, the Saginaw area, which is where I spent a lot of my time. Um, he's an Arthur Hill uh, graduate, Saginaw Arthur Hill graduate. And in his go Lumberjacks, book, go Lumberjacks. And in his book that was written back in the '70s that I re- that, that I wrote, it was about his time as he was kind of growing up and, and going you know through his life and making his way out to Wyoming and then, and then Nebraska and his time there at the end of his career. So I think the book might have been published in the '80s. Um, as he finished up, he talked even then about how, how Ohio State had the facilities, had um, everything that it took to be a premier top four or five program. And he was the only school in the in the Big Ten that he mentioned. So when you talk about how long can they dominate, I think the reality is they can dominate as long as we all can be alive. That's been the tradition and the history of, of Ohio State. And as a, you know, growing up a Michigan fan and, and somebody who follows a Michigan State Spartan still to this day because of where I was born and raised, the truth of the matter is... Ohio State has been a much better program for a much longer time, and I don't know if I can see it stopping any time. And my my thing with Ohio State is their biggest competition is probably themselves and their schedule. I think that Michigan State game is a little bit of a sneaky game at the end of the season. Obviously, it's the game before Michigan, second to last game of the year before they play Michigan. How are things going to be with no fans? How will Ohio State, with all that talent, play when you know maybe there's not that energy? Will they not have a letdown game? That is just inevitable inevitable by every program. And when you look at Michigan State's schedule, there's kind of a unique situation. And then, you know, they open up Rutgers, Michigan, Iowa. Okay, it's a tough start. You know, maybe Rutgers is a little bit of a chance for them to win. But then they go Indiana, Maryland, and your Northwestern Wildcats before they finish with Ohio State and Penn State. I think Michigan State could be kind of hot at that point. So my biggest competition for Ohio State to answer Andre's question is themselves. And their schedule. That's the only thing I see really stopping them anytime yeah. soon. Yeah, you do. I mean, if you're forecasting, you can look ahead to that schedule and that game against Michigan State and circle it for all the reasons you you mentioned there as a potential trap game. But at the end of the day, I just I, I don't think it's 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 ex- an exaggeration to say cream rises to the top and this team is just way too good to to even suffer a defeat in in Big Ten play and then and then then everything Ohio State's pushing for and and trending towards then it becomes a reality you're in the college football playoffs and and it's it's really the Big Ten's only hope for for national relevancy yeah. let, let, let's kind of go with our second question before we wrap up this segment and then bring in um, Travis Wilson from Wisports.net to talk a little bit about things on the, you know over in this state and a little bit about the Badgers uh, with an interview that I did with him. Um, so for the second question, you know I'm going to have you start off with answering and then I'll dive in as well too. But this came from a good friend of mine, Mike Ancona, um, on Facebook as well. He said, how was the transition at Michigan State gone uh, with Mel Tucker entering his first year there? And then a follow-up question he mentioned, what are the expectations for the truncated season? We've talked a little bit about both these things, but if you could kind of talk about you know, how that transition has gone from your standpoint of being in the state of Michigan, working at 97.1, you know, if you've got a little more insider detail about how that transition has gone with the, with the staff and with the program. Yeah. I think in today's day and age, um, you, you know, you have, 
right, wrong, or indifferent, you have so much information at your at your fingertips. And and the model of I hate to call it sports journalism, but sports coverage, let's call it that, because there's fan sided coverage. There's what we do, which is very entertainment based. There's beat writers in the traditional sense, but all of the coverage around Michigan State has certainly suggested that Mel Tucker and his entire staff has been embraced by the community and that it has been a very smooth transition. And of course, again, it's, it's in 2020, I hate to use the term smooth for anything. Um, And it certainly probably, and we've talked about that. It hasn't been the way you would quote unquote draw up, um, you know, to take over a program. But one thing, Dan, here's what I'll say. One thing that it is a little bit, uh, maybe puzzling's too strong of a word, but definitely noteworthy this week, you know, let's keep it present this week, Mel Tucker elected not to release a depth chart. And, you know, I don't think that necessarily answers the question of, Oh, how's the transition going? But I do think it tells us that he's, he is in no way intimidated by, by the, by the big stage, by the other prominent coaches in the league. He could very easily have, and, and you as a coach can speak a little bit better um to this point than i can you know i'm not crazy enough or smart enough to be a coach like you guys are but i i just don't think you know i don't know how much it factors into oh i don't want to you know upset the the proven coaches in the league by doing something i don't want to say controversial because he has the right not to release the depth chart and again it's 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 i I think puzzling is too strong of a word but it's noteworthy that he elected not to release a depth chart and maybe maybe i'm putting way too much into it maybe he just truly doesn't know who his quarterback's going to be but there's three quarterbacks and not one of them has been named the starter yet so well you can't step into that yeah you can't step into that side of the division though jake and just sit around i mean you're going up against jim harbaugh who did the exact same thing if i remember correctly he used to rank like the he used to post on his depth chart i think a few years ago when there was consideration of who was going to win the job maybe before when shea patterson was coming in and he posted all these all-time letter winners at michigan jim harbaugh pulled the same stuff you know urban meyer would do the same thing he wouldn't care james franklin out at penn state would do the exact same stuff and that's kind of encouraging to hear the fact that he's not just going to sit there and take a back seat because you are walking into star power I mean, you're talking about some of the hottest coaches in the country. And again, we can talk about the relevance of the Big Ten and whether one gets into the CFP or not, but you're talking about, you know, some of the most notable coaches there are. Again, James Franklin out in Penn State played for Big Ten titles. His coach down in the SEC is doing a pretty nice job, maybe a little bit outside of, you know, it's in the Big Ten, but a little bit outside of our region. They always feel like a little bit more of an East Coast team. You know, but then you've got to deal with Ryan Day or the Urban Myers before you got to get in there and you got to get in the mix. So, I mean, that that's honestly kind of good to hear. You know, don't be afraid to kind of go in there and push some buttons a little bit and just kind of see what happens with it. Regarding that, you know, what's what are the expectations of the truncated season? I think I talked. Are the games going to fully go through? You know, does the Big Ten have a plan forward to make sure that every game goes through in this shortened season when you're already seeing things happen on college campuses? I can't emphasize that enough. I'm just, I'm fascinated to see how the Big Ten has their protocols and things in line to make sure that they can play every game that they've apparently worked so hard to get back up and running. I'm just fascinated to see if it'll happen. Yeah. And Dan, uh, to follow up on that point, and I could be, I've been called many, many things. And in this industry, you get called every, every name under the sun. So n- none of that will offend me. Will, none of that will bother me, but I, I am choosing to believe and being optimistic that it is going to get done. And, and, and I hate to, you know, take a page out of the sec book because we, as we've talked about it, it means more in the sec. They, right. they let us know, but look what happened with Nick Saban. He tested positive for the right. virus on a Wednesday and was coaching on the sidelines on a 
Saturday. And I do believe, and you can debate me till we're blue in the face and anyone can, which is fine, which is totally fine. But I believe that the regulated environment combined with the proper precautions that are being taken and when it's under such control as it is within the universities, within the different institutions and making sure there's the, the daily testing, the instantaneous, um, the, the, the positive or negative results being there and, and all the protocols that are put in place and with the, the amount of brain power that are, are focusing in to make this season happen, I do believe it's going to get done. Now, you know, we're seeing in the NFL, you know, it, what does getting done look like? Of course, there's going to be some adjustments and, and uh, you know, as I like to call it, changing on the fly, you know, kind of like a line change in hockey. You just got to be ready to go and ready to adapt with whatever with whatever comes up. But I believe it'll get done. Well, at the end of the day, and I'm always OK because I think we live in a free market society. I'm always OK with these administrators, athletic directors, head coaches getting paid, whatever they get paid. This is what you get paid for. You know, and I, I've used this statement before. You don't Amen. get paid just to saunter out to the field and lead the mm -hmm. team out onto the field. You know, you right. get paid the amount of money that these Big Ten head coaches, these athletic directors pay. I know some of them are, you know, furloughs and having to take pay cuts. And that's, hey, listen, money's money. Okay, I don't care if you make $10 million or you make $10,000. Okay, money is money. Okay, so, but the reality is for these coaches, for these administrators to navigate this, this is, this is what you get paid the money for. This is what you're in that position for. It's not just to, again, feel that excitement of trotting out, you know, to Michigan Stadium or, you know, Spartan Stadium or the Horseshoe. You know, it's about navigating these challenging situations to put your players in a position to compete. And that's what I've told high school coaches that I've thought done a phenomenal job of navigating this. They don't get paid barely anything. Some of them get paid very little, if anything. And I told them, this is your job. Your job is to put those kids in position to compete, and you're doing that. So, again, I applaud whether it be the head coaches, the athletic directors, everybody who's able to even put the kids in a position to compete. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Before we go to the interview, we got to talk about Michigan. It's so hard not to touch on Michigan. You kind of talked, you know, we talked there a little bit about contracts. You know, I heard an interview earlier this week on 97.1, the ticket, and, you know, Coach Harbaugh, you know, was addressed with he doesn't have a contract passed this year. He doesn't want to talk about it, nor should he. You know, that's not really public's job to hear that in my opinion. you mean you mean coach right jim wasn't what he wasn't completely transparent with well, everybody you know, and, he, and let us in and well, he, what a shocking surprise <laughs> he, he may not be but that's his prerogative that's how he wants to run it right. but we got to talk about the state of the university of michigan you know a couple of years ago it felt like they were on a precipice of finally breaking into the cfp and we all know what happened down in the horseshoe you know they just got absolutely blown away down year last year they almost felt irrelevant last year, if I'm remembering everything correctly, where my mind was a year ago. And this year they've got a lot to replace, you know, a new quarterback's going to step in the fold. Um, they've had some, you know, some unique things happen in that position. I just saw that Nico Collins is not going to come back to the program. He's already signed with an agent. That's his prerogative. They've got to change a good chunk of their offensive line. What are the expectations for the Michigan Wolverines this upcoming fall? Expectations is the perfect word for it, Dan, because I think depending on the Michigan fan or as we call them, the Michigan slap that you talk to, that kind of drives the, I don't want to say the narrative with this program, but it drives what Michigan football is. If your expectations as a fan are for Michigan to be for, and that's, that's a whole, I think somebody could write a book on this of how Michigan all of a sudden became a national brand based on a co-national championship in 1997. I mean, it's it's almost like you, you're impressed with how, and a lot of it's the alumni base and the players they have in the NFL and and the Jumpman on the logo and everything and and all of that noise. And I think Harbaugh is just so much in line with that. And I've been 
on record a million times saying this, that there's always the sizzle with Harbaugh. You know, he's taken, he's taken trips overseas. He's, he's in music videos with kids saying, who's got it better than us? He's, he's spending the night at a kicker's house for recruiting. There's always headlines. There's always noise. And going back to the expectations part of it is if your expectations as a Michigan fan are for that noise and that excitement to line up to this nationally relevant program that's going to win national championships and compete to be for a spot in the in the college football playoffs, then you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be you're going to be on the outside looking in, wondering why can't Jim Harbaugh get it done? Now, if you're another Michigan fan that's happy to be there, that's that's proud of his, his program and eight win seasons, and we win the games we're supposed to, and and look where the program was under Rich Rodriguez and and a, a smaller part Brady Hoke there at the end, and and some other dark years. In, in Ann Arbor, then, okay, yes, Harbaugh is an improvement. And your expectations are to go from this middle of the pack team that still, again, has this national brand to it. And all of a sudden you look at Harbaugh and take, take away the record against ranked opponents, the record against Ohio state, then he's been, he's been a damn good coach. And a lot of programs would take that. So, and very rarely do you come across the, and I know this is mean, but do you come across the Michigan level-headed fan that's somewhere in the middle that realizes, okay, Harbaugh hasn't won the big games. Here's a little news flash. He hasn't beaten Ohio State. Shocking. I know, right? He hasn't done great against ranked team, but he's also beat the teams he's supposed to in Michigan as, you know, played in respectable bowls. He hasn't won the bowl games, but then you could also say, well, the, you know, they have so many NFL players, they don't want to play in the bowl games. And I know I'm rambling a little bit, but all that said, I think a lot of it is predicated around what's your expectations of the University of Michigan? Do you think they're going to compete for playoffs? Right. Do you think they're going to be in the you know the Rich Rodriguez days, or are they somewhere in the middle? Are they a good, solid football team that can make some noise if things go right? That's where I think they are, but too many Michigan fans have the, the expectations, and right, may, maybe rightfully so because in the past, they, they again, they've become this national brand, and maybe rightfully so, they believe they can win college football playoffs, but if that's your take, you're going to be disappointed. It's, it's really tough tough for me to talk a little bit about Michigan and Coach Arba because my eye test tells me they are they are far better okay than when the previous staffs and maybe even going back to the Lloyd Carr era as far as what they have brought into the program speed wise okay not, not I don't know if they quite have Georgia Alabama speed but when you compare and watch them on film the way they run and the way they move it's hard to say boy he's not you know it's hard to say he's not doing a great job yeah, yeah, and the, the recruiting numbers would back it up. You know, they're exactly. getting these top 10 recruiting classes. Absolutely. Yep. That's a great point. I should mention that. When Brady Hoke was there, they recruited Jabril Peppers. And I felt like he was the only player that kind of fit into that, okay, he could play at Alabama or he could, you know, he looks like a you know player that's you know playing at Georgia or some of these premier programs or at Oregon and that type of speed. But I think the biggest issue that maybe Coach Harbaugh ran into, I'm not critiquing him because I would be on that side to say, I think he's done a phenomenal job. You're talking about a handful of plays away from possibly playing for the college football title. Okay. Who knows what happens if that punter doesn't drop that punt? And I'm not putting it all on him. There's a million other things to talk about. I've been a coach for a long time, but one simple play getting that kick off. What happens in that season? And, and the play that nobody wants to talk about down in the horseshoe where they almost won the game, the, the year is, is kind of slipping my mind where JT Barrett got that questionable fourth down. And I think he got the play before. Somebody in the backfield had a chance to to tackle. I, I don't think it was Debo Samuel, but it was somebody coming around on a reverse. That defender could have made that tackle, and it would have been then fourth and I think 13. 
you're talking about a handful of plays that a coach Harbaugh coach team is in that they just haven't gone their way and they're going up against star powers, going up against Urban Meyer, he's going up against James Franklin, you know, early in his career after, you know, DJ Durkin worked for him and then went to Maryland, Maryland got hot. And then obviously that was a, not a great end to his career. And obviously losing a player is, is never good. What happened at, down at Maryland, but you were talking about probably one of the premier divisions in college football. And, and, and he also ran into that. What I would say is, Give Coach Harbaugh another 10 years. I don't know if he'll stay. That's not my job to decide. But give him another 10 years, and we will be looking back. And he will have had the kind of career that will probably make him one of the all-time greats at Michigan. All right. All right. This is great. We're disagreeing because I, I, I think, you you know, I know one of the on our on our sheet here is is uh, we're going to get into a little Nebraska talk with Scott Fro- right. Frost already feeling the heat after three years. And I think that's a great comparison. Scott Frost and Jim was, Harbaugh, yeah. because Scott Frost had success as a player. He had success elsewhere. I mean, not nearly the amount of success Jim Harbaugh had, because that's another puzzling yeah. part of the equation is how much success Harbaugh had elsewhere. Look what he right. did at Stanford. Look what he did in the NFL, NFL. at the next level yeah. he he created superstars and i know the the name colin kaepernick resonates for a lot of different reasons but just purely talking about what harbaugh designed for him as a player right. and how he developed him and took him at, into a superstar is incredible and that that past resume that harbaugh boasted before coming to michigan is another puzzling part of the equation because you just haven't seen that level of success at michigan and specifically talking about developing players and more specifically talking about developing quarterbacks i mean wow. shea patterson i know that's might be some recency bias because he was the most recent quarterback from Michigan, but he when he transferred from Ole Miss, you thought maybe this guy could win a Heisman from right. Michigan. He's going to be connected with Jim Harbaugh, and and to say that that was a dud might be, and he was a bust might be too harsh because they won some games, but it certainly did not live up. All it all circles back to those expectations. For me, yeah. what Jim Harbaugh has done in the past and the the tools he had in the last couple of years have not lived up to the expectations that I think a lot if of people have. Throw, so that's yeah. where we'll disagree. You know, in, but I will agree with you on this. If there's going to be criticism of Michigan's program and, and coach Harbaugh and, and that's justified he, again we've talked about I've talked about on other podcasts you know you get paid that kind of money to hear that criticism he can handle it. he's a big boy I'm sure it doesn't bother him but the quarterback position at the University of Michigan has not been very good in his tenure there that's the one criticism I'll give him you know when you kind of look at it I mean I think Will Spate might have been a recruit of his but other than that, it was a transfer from Iowa. And then I just did not think Shea Patterson was the kind of caliber player like a Justin Fields, even like a JT Barrett or, or Cardell Jones that played down at, um, you know, played down at Ohio State. So I think if there's criticism, the quarterback position, which should be his baby, has really struggled. But again, I'm going to jump on board with the fact that if you were to give him 10 years, and I know this is tough. This is where it gets really challenging because why does this coach get this long and why does he not? We're going to talk about that with Scott Frost in the you know, in the next segment here after this really good interview with, with Travis that I got coming up. But the reality is there are a lot of criticism that should be thrown his way. You can't just keep, you know, winning six, seven games, but also then eight, nine isn't enough. Like, where are we at in society and what do we want is kind of an open-ended question that I will leave for anybody. So with that being said, Jake, a Saginaw Valley and a Northwood guy can't agree on anything anyway. So yeah. let's, just, let's, just, let's just agree to that. That, that first segment was a lot of fun. So coming up, we have an interview with Travis Wilson from Wisports.net. Talk a little bit um, about high school football in the state of Wisconsin, which he covers. Talk a little bit about the Badgers and maybe even talk a little bit about the um, 
you know, future of Coach Christ and his career here at, at the University of Wisconsin, who I think does just an incredible job here. So we're going to take a little break. Me and Jake are going to grab a little water, grab a little coffee, hear a little interview from Travis, then we'll come back raring and ready to go for segment three. Thanks. Uh, I'm now joined by Travis Wilson. Travis is the general manager, football writer for Wisports.net. Travis, thanks for coming on. Um, this has got to be just a crazy time for you dealing with COVID, dealing with all the changes that have happened during the season. How are things going? How can you explain to us exactly what's happening right now for you and sports in general in the state? Well, it, it has been a uh, an unprecedented year. You know, that's a word that I've used a lot this season. Um, the the changes that have have happened, the rate that they have happened. You know, we cover high school sports in the state of Wisconsin, and right. obviously things have been disrupted a ton since since March. The, the state basketball championships ended up getting canceled. The entire spring uh, sports season canceled. Um, you know, we got to summertime, and we're kind of wondering, okay, now what's going to happen with fall sports, and right. especially football, which is the, you know, the big ticket item, if you will. Right. And uh, here in Wisconsin, the WIAA, um, you know, went through a lot of discussions. They, they worked very closely with their medical professionals, with the state uh, Department of Health, with the, the Department of Public Instruction, the governor's office, and were able to put together guidelines and, and uh, protocols in place that they felt would allow them to have a season. Okay. They did delay it. It, it got pushed back about uh, four weeks or so. And, uh, you know, the schedule is compacted. The, the playoff structure is very, very different than it, than it right. has been. There's there's not going to be a traditional playoff structure. Right. Right. And then about 30% of the teams opted to move to an alternate spring season that the WIA allowed. So the changes have been fast and furious. Uh, we've had changes, you know, continuing throughout the season. Uh, in in any, any given week, about 20% of the games end up getting canceled because right. of some kind of COVID-related issues. Now, most of the time, it's not a positive test or an outbreak on a team. It is... You know, our school is uh, is moving to virtual because of metrics in our community or our public health department is saying, hey, you guys got to, uh, you know, we're recommending that you go to virtual instruction or we're recommending that you cancel athletics. Um, we've seen very, very few instances of positive cases on a team. And okay. from, from what I am aware of, uh, maybe only a couple instances of transmission or, or minor outbreaks on a team. Okay. Again, most of the issues have been at the school and the community level, right. not at the team level. So it's been a challenging year for everybody. Uh, I have to give a huge credit to the coaches, to the athletic directors that have um, made this work, that have been extremely nimble and flexible, right. more than they have ever been. Teams are picking up games on a Thursday with 24 right. hours notice <laughs> on who their new opponent is going to be. We've seen games picked up on Friday morning Friday, yep. where – you know, hey, our our game got canceled tonight. Who's open? Who's looking? Right. Let's let's make something work so we can get this opportunity for the kids because everybody understands you never know when it's going to hit your program, when you're going to get shut down for two weeks or whether uh, what's going to happen. So right. you've got to take advantage of the opportunities while you can. And that's a huge credit to the coaches, ADs, players, everybody in the state. Yeah, I think the way that the administrators, and again, I'm, I'm putting coaches in that um, uh, kind of arena as well. The administrators, the coaches have plan for it have prepared for it has been exceptional um, there's always going to be adjustments I think this will go down as one of the great seasons in high school football obviously it's going to be easy to remember but for anybody to navigate this for anybody to go through the changes and come out and have a positive season now wins and losses are are, are hard to guarantee no matter what the circumstances are 
But I think these coaches deserve a lot of credit. I think these administrators deserve a lot of credit. I wanted to ask you real quick, you do a fantastic job of not only covering sports, keeping the, you know, the, the schools updated with who's playing, everything going on right now, but I think you do a nice job of touching on recruiting and just the aspects um, that, that really impact high school athletes and coaches on a daily basis, not just the games. I want to talk a little bit about the perception of the state of Wisconsin, maybe you know nationally. Um, I just moved here a couple months ago. I was familiar with the area, but the level of football is exceptional in my opinion. I think the coaches are very demanding. I think they, they put their kids in great position, and I think the level of competition is pretty high. But does the state get the recognition maybe nationally compared to like a Florida or a California or a Texas that you always hear about producing some of the top prospects and the top teams? Does, does this state get the recognition that I think maybe um, it deserves? It's, it's starting to turn, that, that's for sure. You know, when you see players like J.J. Watt and Joe right. Thomas, Melvin Gordon, and, and some of these guys coming out of the state that are, you know, not only doing very well at the college level and making a name there, but playing at the highest levels in the NFL and, and uh, you know, becoming the, the, the face of their franchise in, in some instances. Right. Um, people recognize that. People see that. And uh, it, it's starting to turn. And you see that in recruiting as well. I've talked to a lot of high school coaches and a lot of college coaches over the years. And, um, you know, it used to be if there was a really elite high level kid, yeah, a, a Michigan or a Notre Dame or a Michigan State, somebody would come in and, and show interest. And now, you know, those programs are making Wisconsin a regular stop. They're just going through the state doing their regular recruiting rounds, stopping in at some of the better programs, even if they don't have a kid that year right. that they're necessarily going to go after, stopping in, doing the FaceTime, um, putting in the work to, to build, you know, that network. And uh, in fact, I've, I've had a few college coaches tell me it's almost over recruited now wow. to the point where there's, <laughs> there's uh, you know, more programs coming in than there probably are kids available. Okay. But uh, people are recognizing that the talent coming out of Wisconsin is very, very good. Obviously, for many, many years, deservedly so, known as a state that produced the big uglies, the, the big guys up front um, at a high level, at a high rate. And, you know, teams that, uh, you know, could get their skill kids elsewhere came into Wisconsin to go after the linemen. Right. But we're seeing that, you know, there's a lot of good kids all over the board coming out of Wisconsin. And again, guys like Melvin Gordon, guys like Joe Schobert, um, you know, guys that come in and, and aren't just linemen. Right. Um, so you know, there's, there's that recognition that, Hey, there's good kids coming out of Wisconsin. Right. No one is ever going to confuse Wisconsin for Florida or right. California. Or Texas. <laughs> if you look at a, an average year in Wisconsin, there'll be anywhere from 15 to 20, maybe a few more FBS power five, whatever you want to call it type players coming out of the state right. programs in Texas and California and Florida that have that many kids on their team. Fair enough. Uh, at high school <laughs> level. So you know, it, it's not like there's going to be 500 D1 kids coming out of Wisconsin. Right. But when uh, when there's only one Division One program in the state, right, that means that there's other opportunities for kids, and, and there's other opportunities for pro, for programs to come in. Wisconsin's only going to get so many kids, right. anywhere from three to four, all the way up to nine to ten, depending on the year. Right. So that's a lot of good kids left over for uh, whoever it might be. The the Mac schools, Miami of Ohio, Northern Illinois has done outstanding in right. Wisconsin. Again, you're seeing Michigan and Notre Dame and Ohio State even, uh, some of the big programs come in. Obviously, the, the, uh, the FCS programs have, have done incredible work in Wisconsin. As you know, yep. North Dakota State, North Dakota, South Dakota State, South Dakota, Western Illinois, Northern Iowa, uh, the list goes on, Illinois State, um, of programs that, that 
are here all the time. Right. You know, their, their coaches are here on a regular basis. They're getting kids out of the state on a regular basis. And those kids are going on to do very good things at those schools. Yeah. And, and it's, it's funny you mentioned that about North Dakota State. We were talking just before we got started. I spent two years as a, as a graduate assistant there, pre-national titles. And Coach Bull ran a great program before um, even I was there. They had some some good seasons as they were transitioning into Division One. But Brock Jensen really was probably the catalyst um, for us turning that program into what it became. Again, I was never a part of a national championship, but our recruiting in the state of Wisconsin, you know, really started from those coaches, you know, Tim Polisek, Nick Gazer, who were really diving into this uh, state. And, and they were Wisconsin natives themselves that advocated for the, the competitiveness of these players. And, and Brock was one of those. I want to segue a little bit now into the Badgers. Um, they're only a couple hours away from kickoff. Um, the Big Ten season is starting up. I know you don't exclusively cover the Badgers, but you're so connected to the state. You're so connected to recruiting the players that might be playing there. You know, talking a little bit about the outlook, not not only just the uniqueness of this season, but the outlook of a program that I think should be heralded as one of the top programs in the country. I mean, you're talking about a team that has played in multiple Big Ten championships, even if they haven't won any. Paul Christ and that staff have just done a phenomenal job. What is kind of the outlook for the Badgers as they get ready to kick off the 2020 season? Well, there's there's certainly optimism, um, but there are also a lot of question marks in in some key spots. You lose Jonathan Taylor, obviously, right. and that is a huge, uh, huge blow. And there's not necessarily that next guy ready to step in that you're looking at and saying that's the guy. Right. And, and that's usually been the case. You know, Wisconsin has gone through running back after running back after right. running back, and a lot of times it's been a next man up. You know, the next guy coming in. You knew when. Um, Monte Ball left that Melvin Gordon was ready to step into that right. full-time role. And then it was uh, Jonathan Taylor and it, and it carries on. Um, there isn't that guy that, that, you know, you're hundred percent sure is going to come in and be a thousand yard back. Uh, Nakia Watson was the kind of primary guy last year. Uh, Garrett Groshek is a former walk-on that will certainly see his role um, probably change a little bit. A lot of times a third down back in the past, he might be a little bit more involved. They've got some young guys, including some true freshmen, ready to step in. Uh, a guy from Wisconsin, Julius Davis, that uh, came in last year and was kind of limited with some injury, but he could be in the mix. So, you know, if if somebody steps out of that group and, and turns into that next great Wisconsin running back, that obviously takes a lot of pressure off because, as, as everybody is, is well aware, returning quarterback Jack Cohn suffered an injury in, right. in training camp shortly before the season that is going to knock him out. Um, a lot of Badger fans are, are wondering whether that might be a blessing in disguise. Uh, you know, the, the most popular player on the team is always the backup, backup quarterback. quarterback. Here at Wisconsin, <laughs> that has been the case for uh, for quite uh, for quite a while, and especially now because there's a, a young guy, Graham Mer uh, Graham Mertz, ready to step in. Most highly recruited quarterback Wisconsin has pretty right. much ever had. Very talented, but obviously has not gotten that opportunity on a on a you know a, a large scale, um, but. A lot of people are really excited about what he can bring to the table with right. his physical talents that, again, you know, aren't haven't necessarily been there from some guys in the past. Again, with him stepping in and losing, you know, that that primary running back, the top receiver from last year, Quintez Cephas, is gone as well. Um, it, it's going to be a challenge, and and that's where that uncertainty comes in. The offensive line should be should be solid. There's some guys coming back that uh, that have a lot of experience there. Defense should be pretty good. Um, you know, a lot of young talent that they're really excited about. They've got to replace some guys again, uh, especially at the, that linebacker spot. But 
Um, they're really excited about the young guys they have there. The secondary actually is is very experienced for the first time in a while. And so you, you look at it and, you know, you're, you're probably looking at a, a team that's going to be very good defensively, that's going to be working on an uh, identity offensively, um, trying to find that that running back that's the guy, trying to find out if Graham Mertz is the guy, trying to find some receivers that are going to step into much bigger roles. Um, but, you know, there's there's guarded optimism um, because there is a lot of young talent in this program um, on both sides of the ball. But ultimately, you know, it's going to come down to, I think, is Graham Mertz the guy? Right. And is there a guy that's going to step forward? Is that running back uh, that can can be the next great Wisconsin running back? Well, you hate to see the, you know, you hate to see Graham take over from an injury. You know, you hate to see what happened to, to the Cone young man that, you know, obviously was having a, a good run himself. You hate to see someone take over by injury, but there is a lot of excitement, you know, and you said it right. The, the most, you know, <laughs> the, the, the most well-regarded player is always the backup quarterback because they think, you know, what can happen next. I, I want to ask a little bit as we kind of get ready to wrap up, you know, the perception of the Badgers, you know, if you talk about the university of Michigan, and Coach Harbaugh, they have not made it to a Big Ten championship. You know, they haven't played for a Big Ten championship. Now, maybe the difference in the divisions has something to do with it. But at the end of the day, you're talking about the Wisconsin Badgers who have played in four Big Ten championships. Again, haven't come away with a one. But what is the perception in the state as far as, you know, what's what's expected on a yearly basis from the Badgers, from the, from the fan base? Are they looking to get to the Rose Bowl every year? Are they looking to push through and get the Big Ten title? Or is this state just kind of looking for a quality program that plays the game the right way? Well, what are your thoughts on the expectations from the fan base uh, on the Badgers? Well, it depends on who you talk to, right? Uh, there's, there's a lot of people that, that uh, to borrow a word from Paul Christ, are very appreciative of what Wisconsin does and how they do it. Um, you know, there's a perception that Wisconsin does things the right way. Paul Christ is a very solid uh, coach and a very solid person. Right. And, you know, he's not a, a big rah-rah guy. He's not a guy that, you know, is flashy by any means. But, man, does he know how to coach football. Right. And he's got guys around him that bring that, that intensity and excitement level um, you know, on a daily basis and, and push the, the guys that way. Um, and so, you know, there's, uh, there's different opinions. You know, the, the expectation is Wisconsin should be at least competing for a division title every year, if not right. winning it. When you look at, you know, Wisconsin is the best program in the West. I mean, they're, they're better than Iowa, Minnesota, Nebraska, et cetera. So they should be there. Um, there's a frustration level that Wisconsin has not been able to kind of get over the hump and, okay. uh, you know, get past Ohio State most often in that Big Ten championship game. Um, but it, 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 there's an understanding, too, that as good as Wisconsin is, as good of a program as it is, you know, arguably a top 15 type program in the country, Ohio State is a little bit different than everybody else. Um, and, you know, there's been chances. There's been some some opportunities for Wisconsin to to knock off Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game. There's also been a few blowouts, no doubt about that. Right. Um, but you know, there's there's uh, there's an idea that hey, if if things go right, we can beat them. Right. Um, and there's there's definitely a you know a little bit of a, an urgency from some people that you know what we feel like we should be a national title contender, not just a division championship or compete for Big Ten or maybe go to a Rose Bowl. You know, we need to take that next step to a, a national championship contender. And, and Wisconsin's been pretty close. Okay. You know, you look back a couple of years ago, they were, what, one loss going into the Big Ten championship right. game against Ohio State and had Ohio State on the ropes, let them come back a little bit. Right. Uh, it came up short. 
Um, but Wisconsin's also acquitted itself pretty well in, in the bowl games, um, you know, against SEC teams and, and teams from the Pac-12 uh, came up short against Oregon last year. But, you know, Wisconsin's done pretty well in some of those too, you know, have taken it to Miami a couple of times, beat Auburn in a bowl game a few years ago. Um, you know, they've, they've done well in, 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 you know, held their own in those environments. So uh, there's a lot of people that, that again, appreciate Right. Where Wisconsin is at, feel it should be a little bit higher level, but I think that's probably every program in the country, right. you know. But but again, there's there's also a level of, you know, what Wisconsin football is kind of a mirror of Wisconsin as a state, right. a, a blue collar, hardworking state that, you know, we we work hard, we play hard, um, we you know do things the right way. And uh, Paul Christ is a homegrown guy. He right. grew up in the state. His dad was a, a, a Division three college coach in Wisconsin. You know, he, he was played at Wisconsin. He was a ball boy at Wisconsin growing up. Um, there's there's a lot to like about that story and, and the way he runs his program um, inside and out. I think there's a high, high uh, respect level for the way he does things and the way Wisconsin operates. Well, I think there's a lot of people who would appreciate just getting to the Big Ten title. Like I said, in my home state of Michigan, I know, uh, you know, the Spartans have played, but obviously there's a lot of Wolverine fans. I got to wrap up with one final question. Um, I used to coach college football for a number of years. I think Paul Christ is highly underrated as far as what he does. You just kind of touched on it. Are the Badgers going to be able to hold on to him? Um, maybe not to another college, but would an NFL team come and scoop him up and, and or would he leave? Are they going to be able to hold on to him for a longevity that can maybe lead into one of the you know, longest tenured head coaches there, maybe you know, to the likes of when you know, Coach Alvarez was there? Are, are they going to be able to hold on to Coach Christ for a long time? You know, I, I don't think he's the kind of guy that that's going to be looking to go elsewhere. Uh, I think Wisconsin is the destination job for him. Um, again, he's a, a pretty low key guy. He's an extremely competitive guy. Right. You know, don't don't mistake, um, you know, his press conference demeanor for <laughs> how he is as a competitor. Right. Um, but he he's not a guy that's going to be trying to go to Alabama or Ohio State or anywhere else. You know, Wisconsin is his dream job. Okay. And I, I don't think he's a guy that is going to be leaving for the NFL either. You know, I, I don't know that that NFL teams are going to be coming and knocking on his door to be a head coach. Maybe a, a coordinator. You know, would be would be okay. right up his alley. But I, I don't see him leaving for for the NFL either. So I think he's here for the long haul. I think he's here. You know, as long as he wants to be here, and as long as he wants to be uh, the head coach, and and obviously the team remains successful, right. which I think it certainly should. The the recruiting at Wisconsin has picked up considerably uh, as well. The the 2021 class they're putting together right now is, uh, you know, based on the rankings, uh, the the best that Wisconsin has ever had. Okay. In state kids that are are certainly part of that, and they've gone out of state and done very well also. So. You know, there's a lot to look forward to at Wisconsin, and I think Paul Christ is going to be that guy at Wisconsin for quite a while. Okay, well, we're all excited for the season to start off. And the fact that I got you away from everything you have going on for 10, 12, 13 minutes is really a miracle. you got your hands full. Um, you're doing a great job keeping everybody up to date. We wish you well, Travis. Thanks for coming on the podcast, and enjoy the rest of the weekend. Stay safe. And, again, best of luck with everything this weekend, keeping everything on track. All right, sounds good. Thanks, Dan. Welcome back, and thanks to Travis Wilson from Wisports.net. Uh, great insight, you know, on really everything Wisconsin sports. His main focus is high school. 
athletics and covering. He does just a phenomenal job doing that. He keeps me up to date. And then a little bit of talk of the Badgers. I think he's right. I just don't think you're ever going to get Coach Christ out of Madison. Um, but if you were to ask me, I think he's got uh, everything it takes to be an NFL head coach. That was really good insight. Uh, by Travis. Uh, Jake, excited to kind of keep going on this. That first segment was a lot of fun. I thought we had some good back and forth and, and hopefully everyone enjoyed it. Uh, for the first segment, first part of this segment, I want to talk a little bit about some sleeper teams. This is weird. I, I mean, I don't know if you really would consider a team this year with 2020, which, with kind of the truncated season, being a sleeper team, but I think there's a team for me that I can point to that it just doesn't seem like a lot of people are talking about that really have a chance to surprise some people. I'm going to talk about the Purdue Boilermakers down in West Lafayette. You know, when you go back a couple of years ago, okay, Rondell Moore was a freshman. Coach Brom was early in his career. They were kind of in this weird position where they started off, okay, lost to your Northwestern Wildcats, lost to Eastern Michigan, but then went on a little bit of a run and beat Ohio State. Okay, if everybody remembers, that was Ohio State's one loss that year. Then kind of had a weird end of the season, you know, went to double overtime, um, or excuse me, went to triple overtime with Wisconsin and didn't win the game, but they just felt like they were that hot team. They didn't take the jump the next year. You know, last season, Rondell Moore got hurt. You know, they weren't the same team. Um, you know, they didn't make a bowl game. Rondell Moore opts back in now that the season starts back up. I think Coach Brom has a good offensive mind. I think they've got talent in their schedule. I went through it a couple times. I had to double check the my phone a few times, Jake, just to let you know. This is the way I read their schedule. They do not play Michigan. They do not play Michigan State. They do not play Ohio State. And they do not play Penn State. I'm not saying the other teams are walkovers. You know, they start out with Iowa. Always going to be a tough game. Okay, Iowa's just no slouch. Then they go Illinois. And obviously Wisconsin's going to be tough. You've got a chance in a Purdue team with probably one of the more talented players. You're going back to his freshman year, 1,200 yards receiving by Rondell Moore. I think Purdue's got a chance to really surprise some people. Do I think they can go undefeated? I don't know if I see that. Wisconsin's going to be tough. There could be a game in there. But, boy, I see Purdue being a really sleeper in the league and, and seeing what they can do as far as kind of maybe open some eyes. Who do you got as far as a sleeper this year? Uh, in the yeah, Dan, I think you make a great point just in the sense, while well, used to segue it, is you're kind of running down that list and that schedule and, and those crossover games that they're avoiding playing some of the powers that be in the East, but then take it over to the West. And I think this is as wide open as the Big Ten West has been right. in, in quite some time. And maybe maybe dating back to 2018 when Northwestern went to the, the Big Ten title. And I promise I'm not just using that year as an example <laughs> because it allows me to talk about Northwestern as the Big Ten West champs. But that just co goes to show that that year the Big Ten West was pretty wide open. And it feels like 2020 kind of has that same feeling. You know, Iowa's been a, a traditional, I don't want to say power, but a mainstay in yeah. the Big Ten West, and there's a lot of turmoil going on. We know about the the pending uh, legal lawsuit going on with Kirk Ferentz, and and I, I found this interesting. I'm doing a little bit of homework here that Iowa hasn't finished ranked under Kirk Ferentz, but three times in the last 15 years. Which you think about it, that's a that's quite a statement considering that they've always kind of been for whatever reason they've been relevant. They had that big win against yeah. uh, Ohio State a couple of years ago that you know Ohio State seems to lay an egg once once right. a year and that was their their time, but I don't th I think I was almost on a downward trend. Um, Northwestern's in a big needs a big bounce back year and and you know the Big 10 West, you, you know you're running through those teams so 
I guess that leads me to say, why not Purdue? You know, I'm going to go a different direction with my uh, my sleeper team for the Big Ten West because we we've gone this whole time and we haven't we haven't said roll the boat yet, Dan. We got to <laughs> roll the boat over there in, in in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You know, the the Golden Gophers led by PJ Fleck and and the the you know they they started slow last year. They almost had some. Uh, you know, dare I say, but uh, demoralizing losses at the beginning of the season. If that to, kid doesn't to, catch that ball against South Dakota State, South Dakota State beats him in the opener. It might have been Bateman that caught that one-handed touchdown, but yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So in 2020, with a shortened season, there's no time to start slow. So if right. Minnesota starts slow, forget about it. But I think this is, you know, and and maybe I'm trying to speak this into existence, but I do think it's now or never for for the Minneapolis, Minnesota. I can't know why I keep saying Minneapolis. For Minnesota, <laughs> the Golden Gophers, for PJ Fleck to row the boat. You got Trey Morgan, who I, I know it's it's a bowl game, so things can kind of, you know, there's some outliers there. And, you know, depending on who you talk to, they might not say, you know, that's last year, doesn't carry over into this year. But that Outback Bowl where Minnesota beat Auburn, that's an SEC opponent. I know it's not the cream of the crop of the SEC, but Trey Morgan looked like a big-time quarterback for Minnesota, and and I think he's got some weapons on the offensive end. you got Bryce Williams at running back. Um, Who's it? Ibrahim Muhammad's the other running back, so they kind of have that two-headed attack running the ball, and and I trust P.J. Fleck. You know, right, wrong, or indifferent, he's, he's got a lot of flair. He's got a lot of personality. It's never boring. Sometimes it actually, to be perfectly honest with you, it, it drives me bonkers because without being in the room with him, without being one of his players, it's hard to tell how sincere it is. Right. But, you know, and, and again, who am I to say whether it's sincere or not? But it's one thing's for sure. It's constant. He's constantly enthusiastic. He's running up and down the sidelines with his bald head and his sweater vest and his tie and he's rowing the boat and, and it's works. He's had success, had so much success at Western Michigan, now on to Minnesota. And there was a there was an article written on 97wontheticket.com by a colleague of mine, Pat Caputo, who said, you know, maybe PJ Flex Michigan's next guy. And I know we're just that's another one of those hypotheticals that can be a fun sports radio topic. Right. But the point being, it's now or never for the Minnesota Golden Gophers. And I think PJ Fleck and that supporting cast, the talent he has, can bring this team to the top and maybe and maybe not call it a sleeper team because right. I think there's plenty of people that share that opinion. But Minnesota is, is the team to look out for from the West. Well, they better not be asleep this weekend. They open up with the Wolverines, and that's what I'm going to talk about a little bit later. I mean, to me, they again, this is something me and you have discussed already a little bit on this podcast, Nebraska. You know, moving on to what is the state of Nebraska, Coach Frost, um, where do they fit into the, you know, whether it be the national conversation, the Big Ten. I mean, when you go back and you look at Bo Pelini got fired, he had a 713 winning percentage. Okay, he won 71% of his games. Okay, I think his year he got let go. They had nine wins on the season, and that wasn't enough. And they, you know, they went then from mm-hmm. Mike Riley, and then they brought home, you know, Scott Frost, who won a national title as a player and had just that great run at UCF. But in a way, it seems like that UCF shine might be starting to fade, and it's time for him and that program to turn Nebraska into what they should be. I know we're not in the '70s, '80s, and early '90s anymore. I understand people aren't running triple option all over the country. But with those facilities, and I know it's in the Midwest, and I've heard even radio hosts on your station talk about, you know, if you have to recruit in, you know, Coral Gables, Florida, or, you know, Lincoln, Nebraska, and you're a kid, okay, I get that. But still, to bring some of the best Midwest players in the country to Lincoln should not be that difficult. He's got a really talented quarterback that for some reason doesn't seem to have taken the next step in the Martinez kid. He's a good player. I like what he does. Yeah, he doesn't seem like that type of a player. 
Right. You took the words right out of my mouth because we talked about the the whole concept of time with Harbaugh and he's entering year six and Frost entering year three. And maybe you share the same opinion of uh, as me on this, but year three to me is that's the final straw. There's, you know, you talk about implementing culture. That's such a big thing. And Scott Frost was adamant, okay, it's going to take time for me to implement my culture and to get this program where I want it to be. And year three, I think, is when that has to start happening. You have to start seeing the the fruits of your labor. And, you know, coincidentally enough, Adrian Martinez, the quarterback, this will be year three for him as a starter. And, you know, you, you have kind of the freshman phenom he bursts onto the scene a little bit of a sophomore slump in the lull but year three that's that make or break year you know there's 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 not you know you're not learning an offense you're not you're not under you know scared under the big lights because you're a freshman year three is when is when you know what hits the fan and it's 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 get up and go time for for nebraska so all eyes will be on scott frost and in lincoln and do i think they can get it done i do i i think because again not to use the same point with minnesota but the the big 10 west is wide open and you know the schedule is not exactly too kind for them opening up with ohio state and they have a very very tough crop crossover schedule and depending on who you ask some people are uh let's just say hypothesizing that that had something to do with how outspoken nebraska was (laughs) with uh the big 10 and kevin warren and all of the all of the decisions that were being made but it is what it is nebraska will have their hands full and maybe they can make some noise and have some some major victor victories in year three of the scott frost era Talk about contrast comparing what Purdue's schedule is. They open up Ohio State, Wisconsin, Northwestern, who I still don't think is a pushover. I think right next to David Shaw, you know, Coach Fitzgerald is one of the premier coaches in the country, and then they play Penn State. I mean, three of your first four games are against. Yeah, well, well, hold on, hold on. I got, I got to stop you there. Did you compare Fitzgerald to David Shaw just because they both coach at at, at smart smart schools? I do, and I will be the first one to say I think there's a lot to be said for the fact of what those two coaches do with what their schools limit no them doubt. regarding academics. I think those two are bar none, the two best coaches across the board is what they're what they're being asked to win with. I, I have nothing but the highest respect for those two. Hey, I, Dan, that's that's a point we can we can agree on. I mean Bravo, agreed on something. to you. We we are all about I, I I'll tell anybody that will listen. Coach Fitzgerald could whatever program he was in charge of, I would bet on them. I just, I just would. I just, I no other coach gets the most out of his players. I mean, being around the program and, and having the opportunity, I mean, granted, I was a student, but you still have access right. to, to covering practice, to covering games, being on the sidelines. I was fortunate enough to get some work with the student radio station that, and, and, and be able to talk to coach Fitzgerald and, and the players, every single one of them would just run through a wall for Pat Fitzgerald. And, and, Yes, there's the X's and O's component to it, and I'm not going to bore everyone with Northwestern talk, but they brought in a new offensive coordinator. That should open the offense up a little bit. But the fact of the matter is if you're, as a coach, can get every single one of your players to buy in and run through a wall for you, that's maybe half the battle, maybe more than half the battle, and he definitely has that at Northwestern. Nobody nobody listens when I talk, but I and again, there may have been two or three people that I talked to when that opening at Michigan was, was available, and they hired Coach Harbaugh. I was fine with that, but I was – most outspoken person to say they should go to Evanston, give him a hundred million dollars. He will return that money to Michigan. I think he would have been a great fit in Michigan. I just don't know if you'll ever get him out of Evanston. And that's right. his prerogative. He's, I, yeah, he's on record as saying Northwestern, the only job he'll leave Northwestern for are the Chicago Bears. So uh, I, would, I'm pr- I would have put him to the test. I, I'll tell you what, I would have seen what uh, 
what his family would have thought about his bank account changing drastically if I was at Michigan and I had the choice at the time, but obviously I didn't. And uh, if he's looking for a new agent, I'll try to help him out. We can try to work on that $100 million contract. So um, I think Nebraska is a really interesting uh, team. I'm really interested to, to see what they do, and that schedule is not going to be very fun for him. So I'm never a fan of losing coaches. I hope Coach Frost stays there as long as he would like to, but he's really got to get it going this year um, because this is, this is going to be a tough one for him and his team. Let's talk a little bit about uh, – some games talk about games with the most intrigue, not necessarily picking a game, you know, or what, who you think is going to win, but just, you know, why don't you start out Jake with what you think the game that's most intriguing to you this uh, upcoming weekend. Yeah. There's two teams that we haven't, we've talked a little bit about Penn state, but we haven't talked at all about the Indiana Hoosiers. And they're one of those teams that you're, you know, they're, they're not going to win the big 10. They're not, you know, they're not going to be competing for for national relevancy by any means but what tom allen has done i believe don't quote me on this but i think it's his he's entering his fourth year he hasn't been there uh, for an exceptionally long time but what he's done in that time with indiana has been very impressive for for call it what it is their basketball school i mean right. if you ask the the average fan maybe people don't even know indiana has a football team but what he's done at indiana has been really impressive and you know talking about intriguing games I don't necessarily think Indiana will pull the upset over Penn State in week one, but you know I don't know how much we want to dabble in this. If you're maybe a better and a gambler, it's legal in Michigan, so it's legal. legal. It's yep. totally legal. The point spread six and a half points, and if I were to put some money down on an upset for a team that I think will make it very interesting this weekend, I think it's Indiana against Penn State because Tom Allen's similar to Pat Fitzgerald. I think when you talk with people, um, I know uh, one guy on the staff, uh, Casey Teagarden, who spent some time at Northwood when I was a player, he was my position coach, has worked his way up now and is the uh, secondary and special teams coach at, at Indiana. And when you talk with him, these guys will run through a wall through for Tom Allen. It's similar to Pat Fitzgerald. And I think when you get everybody on the same page and you know it's a new year i think indiana might turn some heads and uh you know be a team to to look out for i'm going to make sure that the editing department gets the alarm going off on your uh, call out <laughs> from the coach at indiana you just tried to sneak that in there i got called out for mentioning a few coaches but you just tried to sneak that one in <laughs> no there. it's so incredible dan you know <laughs> yeah. we're just trying to stress right. our credibility here right i got to talk a little bit about the wisconsin illinois game i another coach i think does a really good job i think lovey smith and you kind of saw some growth this past year you know illinois beat wisconsin last year and wisconsin did not seem to be into that game they couldn't get jonathan jonathan taylor going they went down to champ and just for some reason, Wisconsin felt out of that game last year. Um, and I think that's something where you're going to see Wisconsin take it. You know, probably by the time this is on, we're probably only 45 minutes away from the game kicking off. I think you're going to see Wisconsin remember that. I think you're going to see them play really hard, but I see Illinois growing as a program. I don't think it's a situation where Illinois is just going to get walked over because Wisconsin wants to pay them back for what was again, just, they just seemed out of it. They didn't seem into the game and those, those days happen, but I think you're going to get a really interesting uh, matchup here in about 45 minutes, 30 minutes from, from now when that game starts to kick off. The other thing about Wisconsin is when you're talking about, and Travis touched on this, you're replacing Jonathan Taylor, who I think was a first-round talent. I, I know the running back position in the NFL has been viewed a lot differently over the last couple of years. I think, I'm not saying he's generational. I don't know if he's Adrian Peterson, but he's somewhere in between Adrian Peterson and better than a second-round draft pick. He was unbelievably talented. And it, it took a lot of tread off his tires. Maybe that had to do with the where he got drafted, but I think he was an exceptional player. The Cephas receiver, I thought, was one of the most underrated players in, in, in the country last year. In that Big Ten championship game, he looked like an Ohio State player. 
and, and in some yeah, ways, Quintez he looked a little is, Yeah, yep, he was really good. The Lions drafted him, so we know all about him here in Detroit. He uh, hasn't lived up to expectations yet, Give but. Him time. Uh, Yep. Je- yeah, Jeffrey Okuda, who the Lions drafted uh, with the third overall pick, the cornerback out of Ohio State, was on record saying Quintess Cephas was the best receiver I guarded in my college career. Yeah. Um, but getting back to, uh, I think, your point on on Illinois, you know, make no... I, th- I don't think I'm alone in in saying this, but make no bones about it that that win over Wisconsin last year saved Lovey Smith's yes, job no at, at Illinois, and you know it did it provided a spark, some momentum. The Illini went on to beat Michigan State at Spartan Stadium. Of course, Michigan State completely down last year, and right. that's not necessarily a signature win, but hey, they were in the game and they right. they won a Big Ten road game. So um, I think get, getting back to Illinois, they're an in, they're a team I wrote down as one of the intriguing. Now, you know, not a sleeper, not a team right. that's going to win the conference but some some pieces that are are moving in the right direction brandon peters the transfer from from michigan at quarterback they've got some skill players on the edge uh that have transferred out of usc that'll be interesting to watch and you know they're they're a team that you can't take lightly so if and when somebody shows up thinking oh we're playing illinois we can sleepwalk through this game i think the illini will make them pet that's going to be an interesting one. I'm really excited to kind of follow the game a little bit. I think when you look at it from the Wisconsin standpoint, they're playing a new quarterback, this big heralded quarterback that was a five-star. Paul Chris was able to get, I think and Travis mentioned it, he's the by far the most highly rated recruit the Badgers have ever gotten, is now making starting making his first start, will lead the program moving forward after the injury to Jack Cohn. But I think when you look at this schedule, again, I'm not saying – I'm not even going to pick this game. I, you know, who do I think is going to win? I mean, I think Wisconsin's got the superior team, but after Illinois, this is the schedule. I, I think Wisconsin's a really unique team to watch, especially considering how they start Saturday. Because if they start off right, afterwards they play Nebraska, who, again, we've talked about as far as being a team that we're interested in seeing. Purdue, who's kind of my sleeper. I'm not saying I think Purdue's going to beat Wisconsin, but I think they're going to be right in there. They play Michigan and Ann Arbor, but then after that, okay, they play Minnesota and in Indiana in Wisconsin. Um, to me, I, I end with Iowa. I, I think there's a really good chance you could look at an undefeated season coming out of Madison over here with the Badgers. I really could see, and I think it's going to be dictated with how they start uh, here, in a, here in a little bit when they kick off against Illinois. All right. So is that, that's your pick out of the you. West? <laughs> that's my pick Wisconsin? Out of West. I left you. That was such a good take that you were speechless. That's how good that take was. <laughs> Which is not I, easy to do Jake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've taken Minnesota out of the West, Dan. That's okay. going to be my squad. Well, I think, I think again, when you watch Wisconsin, you know, kick off here in a little bit, that's going to be interesting because Minnesota is going to have to come to Madison. That could be a really good game near the end of the uh, Big Ten slate. Let's go to our last question from social media. Um, I'll start off answering this one. I think this is a pretty good one, and then we'll get ready to pick our our, our games for the end of the episode here. Um, this came from Christian Babini, another uh, friend of the show, was on uh, my most recent podcast. Christian asked, Dan, as a player in 2020, aside from the top NFL prospects that are going to get drafted, why wouldn't I sit out this year to save a year of eligibility? Is there anything to be said for an extra year of eligibility? That's from Christian on Twitter. Well, first of all, they did, the NCAA does allow this year, because of all the COVID restrictions, that there can be extensions to to, pros, to, to student athletes' eligibility. Okay. I don't really want to go into that entire can of worms. I'm just going to leave that out there. But what I would say to Christian or anybody asking, why would you play this year? You have to have learned from this fall that you do not know what's going to happen next year. You do not know next year is going to be any better. You do not know that there's going to be challenges and and, and concerns and issues regarding whether it be COVID um, or any other different things that could arise. In my opinion, you've got a chance to play. 
again, if you're trying to become an NFL prospect, if you're just a player that wants to play and enjoy this year, you are just, we've got to have learned as not only a society, but in athletics, you just are not guaranteed anything past what, what someone's telling you you can play right now. And I think that's why you saw the young man at Purdue, the young man at Minnesota opt back in. I don't know what happened at Michigan with Nico Collins. If he signed with an agent, he didn't even want to try. He's ready for the NFL. That's certainly his prerogative. You did see Jalen Mayfield opt back in. Um, he's a local product from West Michigan that I know is a really good player and really needed that um, another year. He had a good first year, um, but probably to find himself in the top five of the draft, he needs another good year. Um, so all these decisions come into play, but I think more than anything to answer Christian's question, you just this has got to have taught everybody out there that you just don't know what's going to happen. You know, if you go back to Barry Alvarez's comments from the spring, when they talked about extending the winter and spring student athletes, and I don't know if he's changed course on this. He said, we're, we're not going to be able to do that. An extra 33 student athletes on next year's uh, budget is a large amount of money that even the university of Wisconsin doesn't have. So I think if you have the opportunity to play, if someone tells you got the opportunity this upcoming fall, Go take advantage of it because you just never know what is going to happen next year, whether it be regarding COVID or just anything else in in society or in, or in the game. Yeah, I know this is going to be boring, but I would just I would just say what he said. Echo that one hundred percent. I mean, as a as a player, I mean, the opportunity to to I know call it cheesy or cliche, but to to strap it up with your teammates and and get between the white lines and compete for sixty minutes. That's right. I mean, that's if again, siren me, if you've played, you get it. You understand right. that's why you play the game. And, and, and there's, there's no guarantees and you have the, the call it the luxury of knowing that you can have that extra year yeah. of eligibility. Yeah. Of so I do think yeah. it's a win-win all the way around win-win-win all the way around. Yeah. I mean, as I listened to the morning show on 97.1, I listened to John Jansen uh, talk a little bit. He, they were actually talking about McCaffrey. Uh, the older McAfee Christian who's playing with the Panthers. And he was taught, someone asked him, I think the question of, do you think he'll regret when he, he was one of the first ones to sit bowl games out. If you remember Christian, when he's playing at Stanford, he kind of started the trend. It felt like he wasn't the first one, maybe, but he was one of those first big names that you know, sat a bowl game out um, to get himself ready for the NFL. And, and, and John Jansen, you know, your, your colleague at 97.1 was not critical. What he said was, I bet you, 10, 20, 30 years from now, he'll look back and say, man, I wish I would have played just to have one more game. Because that was his, you know, mentality at Michigan. He said, you know, I know it's easy to say now, but just to go back and play one more game. Um, so again, you just never know. You touched on it uh, right on there. Let's kind of get to our games, uh, Jake. Let's kind of start getting ready to wrap up the episode. Games are probably getting ready to kick off. Wisconsin's getting ready to kick off tomorrow. Uh, we're excited to see all the games. We're not going to go through every slate. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about a few games that, you know, we think uh, we've got a little bit of insight on and maybe some thoughts. So Jake, why don't you lead us off with a game that you wanted to talk a little bit about and, and maybe make a pick on the game. Yeah, absolutely. I got a couple of them for you. I've, I alluded to it a little bit with the Penn State, Indiana one, so I don't want to spend too much time with that one. But I think the Hoosiers at home, and I know there's no home field advantage per se, but uh, Penn State lost a lot. I know Sean Clifford's still the quarterback, but they lost a lot on offense. And and Indiana can score some points, so I'll take that. If I'm taking a team to cover, I'll take the six and a half points with the Hoosiers. Okay. The other one, the line that has moved the most, 
intrigued and it's so intriguing. And yes, I'm consumed with it every day at work, but the Michigan Minnesota line continues to move all this money coming in on Michigan. I don't want to make this just a, a gambling segment by any means, but it does kind of give you an, a, a, you know, at least a picture and an appreciation for what the quote unquote experts are thinking of this game. Minnesota opened a two and a half point favorite. And now that has swung all the way around to Michigan being a three and a half point favorite. And there were some reports out that some players from Minnesota won't be in the lineup due to COVID concerns. Um, and PJ Fleck wouldn't give the specifics. We've all been, uh, you know, we've all been texting each other at the station and, and giving each other a hard time. Like, do you know, Hey, do you know who Minnesota is not having playing, but somebody out there knows because that line has swung all the way into Michigan's favor. And, and, you know, I got to stay with the, the theme of this show for me has been on the, the PJ Fleck Minnesota bandwagon. So I think they get it done at home and Michigan goes back to the drawing board, which is a familiar, familiar state and these big games well i'm gonna talk a little bit about the michigan game as well we both kind of wanted to collaborate a little bit on that um it, it was really close for me to almost talk about one of my most intriguing games you know but i kind of wanted to pick the game a little bit as well too growing up a michigan fan i thought this would be you know good for me to talk about um but when you kind of when you consider what michigan has going on this year okay they're going to play joe milton at quarterback he gets made the quarterback, Dylan McCaffrey leaves. And I can't say I can speak to the backups and the depth chart at that position. Everyone speaks very highly of Joe Milton. There's even already conversation about him being a Heisman candidate, which is crazy to me. And then people have even said, you know, said the same. Force new starters up front. Um, to me, Michigan's got a lot of questions, okay, as far as how they're going to be this year. We've touched on it a little bit. Minnesota, you said that you mentioned it earlier. Trey Morgan playing pretty well at quarterback. Bateman opts back in. I think we're going to see a shootout. I think what you're seeing is experience versus star power. I don't think Michigan's going to play, you know, technically very well. But I think they're going to score a lot of points. It's got all the makings of one of those first games of a new quarterback. People are on both sides, on the Michigan team, on the Minnesota team, trying to figure out. I see Michigan scoring a lot of points. I see Michigan putting 35 up really early. Maybe even something 28 in the first half and only scoring seven in the second and Minnesota driving and fighting back. I see Michigan winning the game 35-28. I see it being a high-scoring affair. I see them putting a lot of points on the board early and Minnesota making a crazy run at the end. I just don't ultimately think they're going to have enough enough uh minnesota that is in the tank to come back and finally win that game but i, I do think you're right i think minnesota is going to find themselves you know on the good side of uh, of having a great season but i see michigan winning the game 35 28 and I, I just see the joe milton era the university of michigan this year starting out pretty hot and then we're going to see where that takes us after uh, after game one all right. All right. Now, is that a pick, you know, pick with your heart because of the, cause I've got a pick, I'm taking Northwestern over Maryland and that's purely for, with my heart. I mean, it's, it's, it's Ryan field under the lights and people <laughs> in Evanston have been joking all, all, all this COVID season long about, uh, you know, no fans at the game doesn't really impact Northwestern. We're used much. to that. you know. <laughs> in fact, it might be a benefit because yeah. teams would always make their big 10 road trip to, to go see Chicago and then right. go, go to the game uh, in Evanston. So there was many, many times when I was at Northwestern where the road team had more fans. Well, I'll tell you what, Jake, this is going to be a fun weekend, getting a chance to see the Big Ten teams play. We both grew up Big Ten fans. As, as fun as it's watching, as fun as it is watching the SEC, as fun as it is watching the ACC, and just seeing college football get back, you know, Pac-12 still uh, a couple weeks away from getting started. I, I, 
I can just honestly say that I'm excited to see Big Ten football back. Again, my number one focus is hoping that it makes it all the way through. Um, we want to thank you for coming on and, and having the first ever Friday night tailgate. This was a lot of fun, different than our uh, our podcast first, where it was a little more Q&A. Me and you kind of went back and forth and kind of talked about some things. So this was a lot of fun. We really enjoy it uh, and having you. And, hey, have fun watching the games this upcoming weekend and, and enjoy the start of the, the, the Big Ten season. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. And Dan, I appreciate you having me on. And and I fully expect some some social media, either love or hate or some smack talk, depending on how these games go, because I think we've got a different pick with Michigan and Minnesota. So that, that one in and of itself, somebody's going to be right and somebody's going to be wrong. But in all seriousness, a lot of fun. appreciate you having me on. All right, Jake. Have a good rest of your weekend. Enjoy. Stay safe as, as always. Enjoy the games this weekend.